This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Shumpert. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Baseball Podcast here on this Tuesday, July 18th morning. I'm your host, Jack Foster, alongside Ryan Shepard. It's been a while since we've got on here to talk baseball, but we got a lot to cover today. And I don't think we've podcasted since even Cannon Peebles committed, so we got to go back that far and do some quick recaps of Transfer Portal news before diving into MLB draft reactions as far as the signings that occurred from Tennessee baseball players ultimately going on to the big leagues but first ryan how we doing on this tuesday morning doing well doing well like you said it feels like it's been a long time since we podcasted and uh, certainly there's been i guess the last week or so it has slowed down a little bit in the tennessee baseball world but it's been uh pretty busy you know first three weeks or so in july and uh, a lot to talk about with the transfer portal and then the mlb draft and all that good stuff is uh tennessee is Kind of starting to get a, a pretty good feel of what its roster will look like next year, probably with uh, you know, potentially some small changes as well And uh, as we move into August and they get ready for uh, some fall work. Before we get into how much Tony Vitello loves the transfer portal, I have a free sponsor to give out today, and that is the Belvita Breakfast Biscuits. Have you ever had those, Ryan? Me? No, I, no, I don't think I've had. I think I've had Jimmy Dean, but I don't think I've had Bel- Belvita. Well, it's different. Okay. Jimmy Dean is like sausage biscuits, right? All that stuff that goes Uh in my bread. Those are amazing too, but those are unhealthy. Belvita breakfast biscuits are these little cracker things that are Uh like blueberry, different flavors. Yeah. Dude, they changed my life. I swear. Really? They're they're the best thing ever. I just eat them every morning now. Okay. I I will never not buy Belvita breakfast biscuits at the grocery store from here on out. And that's facts. And also, I just love the alliteration in saying it. So it is, it is good. I mean, that's probably why they call it biscuits. I mean, I guess maybe it's like the biscuits, like the English version of kind of being more of a cookie. I think. Yeah, 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 definitely. And it's not really like an American biscuit. Oh, uh, no, not at all. I don't know if they're actually an English company. I feel like they're probably not. And they're just leaning into the alliteration, but it's a pretty good alliteration. So I don't, I don't blame them. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, that's my free sponsor this morning. So you're welcome, Belvita. You're on the Rocket Top Inside Press podcast on a Tuesday, July 18th. Yeah, cut the check. All right. So Tony Vitello loves the transfer portal. That's been established, and he raked in the portal this offseason so far, Ryan. Let's start with Cannon Peebles. Um, he ha- he'll have the most clear-cut role of any transfer Tennessee got, I feel like, and that is the catcher position. We've talked about how Tennessee struck out. Um, well, not necessarily struck out, just got unlucky in the portal at the catcher position each of the last two seasons. Now they get a guy who has at least two more years until he's draft eligible, a guy that is great at the plate, something they haven't had out of the catcher position definitely last year. And really since Connor Papaloni, I mean, Evan Russell was what he was, you know. But now Cannon Peebles comes in after raking in his freshman season, led NC State in batting average 352, rubies with 50, and he finished second on team in the home runs in 12, had a couple of really big home runs also for the Wolfpack. So this freshman All-American in Cannon Peebles, how big of a get is this for Tennessee? Oh, it's massive. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get to Billy Amick in a second. It's tough to decide which one's bigger, but I'd have to go Cannon Peebles just because he solidifies a spot that Tennessee hasn't had solidified, and it's so nice that it doesn't even really feel like a Band-Aid because he's a guy that still has two more years that he has to play before he's draft eligible. So you'll see him in Knoxville for two years, 
And it was just an, a, a huge, huge win, an impressive recruiting win. Tennessee, he's a Virginia kid. Uh, Virginia was hard after him. That's a team that's been like Tennessee in the College World Series two of the last three years. Uh, just had an All-American catcher graduate and head off to professional baseball. And then Vanderbilt, who's obviously a huge divisional rival. So tough competition to get him for good reason. He was, in my estimation, the best transfer uh, catcher and available. The Washington guy was pretty good, too, but uh, Peebles was just a stud last year. And I do think one of the things that stands out about him is his switch hitter, but he hit left-handed pitching really, really well from the right side. And oftentimes, especially in college, uh, you'll see switch hitters that don't hit great from the right-handed side just because you know most pitchers are right-handed, so they get up far more uh, reps and opportunities hitting from the left-handed side. Certainly, we know Tennessee needed to improve its ability to hit uh, against left-handed pitching uh, going into the next season. Peebles is a guy that does that. He's solid behind the plate. He'll solidify Tennessee to spot. Uh, they really haven't had uh, a whole lot of stability at the last two years or last few years. And again, he'll do it for two seasons. And, and you'll see uh, Canada Peebles play a lot of uh, important baseball for Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, this is a slam dunk. Cannon Peebles is catcher one for Tennessee. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Maybe, you know, Cal Stark or Charlie Taylor gets a midweek. Speaking of, Cal Stark, Charlie Taylor still on the team and, you know, feels like they're going to be on Tennessee too this season. No departures there what's your take on you know how they fit into this puzzle that is Tennessee in 2024 that's the expectation so that neither of them are going to transfer for Stark to me it makes sense and uh, Dalton Bargo who is I'm sure we'll talk about in a second Missouri guy he's a Missouri catcher and so you see the name catcher it's like man Tennessee's bringing in two catchers why would Cal Stark stay Bargo I mean he'll provide some depth at catching but I think his more of a Jared Dickey catcher right more of a Jared Dickey catcher. And he played a lot for Missouri this year. Almost none of it a catcher. Almost all is a starting designated hitter. So it's his bat that Tennessee was super interested in. I think they're more interested in seeing what he looks like at the corner infield, corner outfield spots. He's an option at catcher. And I think it leaves Cal Stark to spot to the chance to be a, a good backup catcher in the sense that, you know, maybe he can improve and become a guy that starts one game on the weekend. I'm not sure I necessarily bet on that because Peebles was just so good at North Carolina State last year. Uh, but at the very least, he'll be the midweek guy and uh, potentially have some opportunities uh, to get some chances in, in the weekend series too. To me, for Charlie Taylor, Taylor, that's the one that, you know, I don't really see what his role is or how he fits into the equation. Uh, but certainly a guy that I think has enjoyed being at Tennessee, uh, a good kind of veteran presence in, in the clubhouse. And at the same time, if you are Charlie Taylor, while the path to playing time at Tennessee isn't, you know, super strong or super clear, I don't think it would be super clear at a lot of uh, schools or at least a lot of power five schools. So yeah. uh, in, in a lot of ways, I think it, it makes sense for him to stay and be a part of a winning team. And, uh, you know, just like what happened two years ago, no one saw him getting an opportunity in the regional and it came his way. Maybe that happens again through through injuries or, or however, uh, the craziness that can happen over the course of a baseball season. Yeah, I mean, sometimes guys just, you know, even in this ever-changing world of college athletics where players enter the transfer portal at, you know, any moment's notice when they're not going to get enough playing time, some guys just like where they go to school and like their lifestyle. Yeah. Maybe that's Charlie Taylor. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, especially with Ryan said it's not necessarily going to be a clear path to playing time at another Power 5 school. But Cal Stark, for a second, I know you're probably as big of a Cal Stark guy as anybody, especially down the stretch last year, given how much you improved defensively and how much you took note of that um, on the record. But 
I feel like Cal Stark still has a lot of upside people may not realize at the plate. You got to remember last year in fall ball, he was really good, really solid. Had Tennessee's first home run hit of the season yeah. out there in Arizona and looked good to start the season. We were talking about him being, you know, the starting catcher, but more for his hitting uh, ability yeah. rather than his defense ability. So I feel like Cal Stark still has some upside to bounce back and maybe become a better bat too. Oh, 100%. And, you know, you're probably not going to see him you know, hit 300 or 15 home runs or anything like that. But definitely, I think he can be a more reliable bat where he's, you know, not hitting under 200. And he's a big and guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is funny to look back and think about. And you have a couple of these every baseball season where you'll go back and look at something the first two weeks of the season and it'll just like make you kind of blow your mind that, that happened. I think mine this year is Cal Stark started games as Tennessee's designated hitter early in the season. Yeah, yeah. Like he wasn't starting some games at catcher because they wanted to get Charlie Taylor reps and Tennessee felt good enough about his bat. They're like, yeah, we need him in the lineup. Like he's a guy that can help us at DH if he's not catching. Obviously it went in the opposite direction, uh, but that is a good point by you. I think he, again, he's not going to be a star hitter, but he can be much more serviceable and much more closer to the mean of what you get in SEC catch catchers hitting uh, than what he was last season. We'll hit on the other two positional players before we get into the incoming transfer pitchers. First, Billy Amick, arguably, you know, outside of Cannon Peoples, the biggest transfer land for Tennessee this offseason. Coming in from Clemson, was great in his freshman season. Didn't get a ton of start, didn't start all season. And when he did start, it was primarily at designated hitter. But, man, this is a massive acquisition for Tennessee. Dude hit 413 with 13 home runs last year. And I think I'm mistaken. He's a rising junior, excuse me. 63 RBIs last year, though, um, during an all-ACC season. So Amick has one more year until he's draft eligible. This guy is going to be a dude for Tennessee. Oh, no doubt about it. And he was a dude for Clemson last year. And obviously we saw uh, that Clemson Stadium, I already forget the name of it, uh, Doug, Doug Kingsmore, is that right? Yeah, Doug Kingsmore Stadium. Doug Kingsmore Stadium, it is a hitter-friendly park, but just the ability to hit 413 over the course of a season and still hit 13 home runs and 32 extra base hits is pretty mind-boggling. Even in college when, you know, hitters oftentimes put up pretty mind-boggling numbers. So that consistency was super, super impressive. And uh, I think, obviously, we talked about the competition Tennessee beat out for Peebles was huge. Amick was one that he went on a bunch of visits. He went to South Carolina. He went to North Carolina. He went to Florida. And I think Texas A&M had an in-home visit too. But this was a recruitment that was pretty drawn out. And Amick was a guy that, you know, he didn't really tip his hand a ton where he loved the Tennessee visit. He still had two, two more visits left. And Tennessee was like, yeah, the visit went well. But there was no sort of confidence of like, yeah, we got him or anything like that. So he was kind of, this was a kind of an old-fashioned recruitment in that we've seen with a lot of these guys that come to Tennessee and they shut it down immediately. That did not happen. Amick took a lot of visits to a lot of top schools. And in the end, I think it kind of came down to Tennessee, North Carolina, and Florida. Tennessee beats out two really good programs uh, for a guy that's going to come in and start right away. Where at, I think is kind of the question mark. Mm -hmm. Third base seems like the obvious spot with, uh, obviously, Ryan Galaney off to professional baseball. The Wofford transfer commit signed with the Chicago White Sox after they took him in the 13th round. Zane Denton, we'll see what happens there. He was not selected. Uh, but, you know, from the last I've heard, Tennessee still expects him to sign an undrafted free agent deal. So, mm. uh, obviously, if Denton comes back, uh, you'd have uh, two third basemen. One of those guys could end up at second. Maybe one of those guys could play first with Blake Burke DHs. Um, but Billy Amick's going to be in the starting lineup somewhere uh, every day 
The question is just where I would say as of, like you said, we're sitting here talking about it on July 18th. Uh, I would say third base probably feels like the most likely spot. Let's go ahead and jump into this infield discussion. It's probably the biggest discussion right now for Tennessee. And since we're talking about Amy mind as well, you mentioned Gulaney definitely was going to start at third base for Tennessee if he didn't sign, but he's signing. So that's out the window. Amy can start at third, but if Zane comes back now, you may, you know, I don't know what you know behind the scenes, but like if Amick comes back or if Denton comes back, how's this going to work? You mentioned Blake Burke going to DH. What about Christian Moore to the outfield, Amick to second? Is that a possibility? What do you think are the various possibilities here? Yeah, I think if Denton comes back, I think the more likely scenario is that one of Denton and Amick play second base. I'm not sure which one it would be, uh, but I think one of those guys will move to second. Christian Moore, uh, maybe in the outfield and and look I think the spiraling us into I think the more important or the biggest question mark in the infield is what happens at shortstop because yep. it's kind of a black hole right now Tennessee both their returning shortstops Austin Jaslov and Jake Kendrow have both entered the transfer portal Tennessee has no incoming transfer to that spot now they do have a lot of really talented incoming prep players but shortstop's a hard place to start as a freshman in the SEC so I think Christian Moore at least gets a look there. Christian Moore wasn't a great defensive second baseman last year, so it's a pretty big jump from playing second base to shortstop. But Tennessee has so many question marks there, and fall is so much about tinkering and trying new things. I would be surprised if you don't see Christian Moore get uh, some spot or get some opportunities at shortstop. But to me, that's kind of where I see where we're at. Uh, if Zane Ditton comes back, one of him and Amick move to second base. Christian Moore ends up uh, either in the corner outfield spots or at shortstop. Wasn't Christian Moore a shortstop prospect in high school? He was a shortstop prospect. He didn't really play much of it really ever at Tennessee, uh, mm-hmm. even arriving his freshman year. Uh, it's really kind of been second base, or even if you remember, you go back to 2022, he played yeah. a little bit out in left field. Um, so we'll see. You know, that's an option. Again, you would think that would be an option to be explored because Tennessee really is is very, very thin at that spot right now. Also, um juco players at shortstop is always a possibility too so yeah it's pro i feel like it's probably going to be a newcomer at shortstop you know maybe they're done in the portal but i mean just looking at it now freshman or juco player that stands out there's a lot of good freshmen coming in you know it it feels like that's the most likely scenario right now especially considering jake kendra transferred out it felt like that was his job to lose but the him transferring kind of tells me that maybe they got someone waiting in the wings coming in i should say that is just you know, dude. So, yeah. Well, what I you know what I can say about it is asking around about Kendro and Jazlov transferring, and especially Kendro because we yeah. kind of felt like Kendro was ahead of Jazlov, yes. and Jazlov transferred first. So it was like, all right, this is Kendro's job to lose. And asking around about it, it was kind of like both those guys wanted guarantees that they were going to be a starter, and because you know they're just their draft eligible year, and they want to be in the lineup every day. And the fact that Tennessee wouldn't give Kendro the assurance that he was going to be a starting shortstop tells you that they have some good guys coming in. That doesn't mean yeah. that Kendra wouldn't have been the favorite if he came back, uh, but there are a lot of talented shortstops coming in. And a couple of those guys, Tennessee was a little bit surprised that they made it into campus. You know, they thought it would maybe be more likely that they would go to the MLB and professional baseball to start. And I guess that would be the last thing that I would say on the infield conversation we talked a lot, I think, about our last podcast or maybe even some off the record that it felt just it just felt likely that Christian Moore was gonna end up in the outfield and Galaney going to professional baseball and Zane Denton, you know, looking like and we'll see what happens, but looking like it's more likely that he signs an undrafted free agent deal 
you maybe say, I don't want to change that. All of a sudden, Tennessee doesn't have as many proven guys back in the infield, and maybe they need them to stick at second base. And I'm not saying that's not possible, but Tennessee bringing in a lot of talented middle infielders. And even if even if one of those guys does end up starting at shortstop, I wouldn't look past the possibility of one of those guys weaseling their way into starting at second base too, or at least being an option there. So even though Christian Moore being in the outfield doesn't look as likely as it maybe did a couple weeks ago, uh, I still wouldn't say that that is something that couldn't happen or isn't in the realm of possibility is. Again, Tennessee will move into fall, and fall is a major time of tinkering and and trying to – figure out guys in different spots and where everybody can fit and help you out at. And well, Bargo, Dalton Bargo yeah. could help him out at, at third base too. If that's what I was. Uh, Amic could move to second. Yeah. That's what I was going to get to is Bargo is another guy that's figures to compete for one of these positions. And, you know, can you play outfield too? Is this a guy who could. Yeah. Cor- corner outfield, outfield spots, probably outfield. left field most likely, but yeah, it, it's possible. So could you see a scenario where it's Burke at first, Amick at second, more, more, let's put more in the outfield. So a new newcomer at short and then Bargo at third. Yeah, I think that's plausible. You know, I think that that scenario would be about Bargo being good and, and being good in the fall, being good in the preseason and forcing his way into the lineup because really in the matter of two weeks, it's gone from, feeling like Tennessee has more depth in the infield to me feeling like Tennessee has more depth in the outfield. So it mm-hmm. does feel like if Bargo's bat, cause that's what, to me, that's what it's going to be. Bargo is yeah. going to be serviceable enough in the field, but it's going to be his bat that would force his way into the lineup. And if that's the case, I think third base would be a realistic or a likely spot landing spot for him. Remember when Dalton Bargo raked against Tennessee in their series this year? Well, it feels like everybody from Missouri raked, but yeah, Dalton Bargo had he had quite he had quite the weekend for Missouri. Yeah, he did. Um, but hit two seventy nine on the season uh, has a lot of potential to be a really good bat for Tennessee. We'll see where he fits in, but a guy that you expect to like, he's not just going to be a bench warmer. He's going to see time, even if he's not starting. He's going to be one of the top rotational guys, you know, coming into pinch hit or whatever. Yeah, and the one thing Tennessee has said about him uh, is that. The the frame for the power is really encouraging, and he didn't put up massive power numbers as a freshman. Just hit five home runs, uh, doing some quick math, fourteen extra base hits, so nothing crazy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tennessee really likes the fact that get him in a strength program, get him with Quentin Everhart, yeah. who has obviously been uh, really really good for Tennessee in that program. Uh, and they think they can add some weight, add some strength, and this is a guy that can turn into a guy that hits double digit home runs for Tennessee. Also, does the name Lyndon Amick ring a bell? It doesn't, no. no not a NASCAR uh, Bush Series fan in the late 90s? Come on, Ryan, what are we doing? Anyway. I actually did have a brief stint of liking NASCAR when I was young, but that would have been uh, mid-2000s, not, uh, not late 90s. It's Billy Amick's dad. He's okay. NASCAR driver, that. And he's been in the Bush Series, which is now the um, Xfinity Series, so it's like you know the second tier. Right, okay. it's not the main thing. I think it but... used to be the nation nationwide series. Yes, it was nationwide. Now it's Xfinity. Yeah, okay. um, yeah the the names changed so much, can't keep up. Uh-huh. But when he drove, it was the Bush series. Uh, so fun fact about that Billy. is a guy is a good fun fact. Also has a couple top tens in the truck series. So okay. bam, there you go. Dude can drive. Dude, Dude can, can drive. drive. All right. Let's move on to, we talked about Jake Kendrow, Austin Jaslov departuring. Let's move on to the pitching staff. We don't have to go long here. 
not a ton of news. Nate Sneed's the biggest news coming in from Wichita State, a guy that can touch triple digits. Uh, you know, he's going to compete for that day three starting role. We've talked about how we think Drew Beam and A.J. Russell are the top candidates for you know day one, day two starter, and then that day three is kind of a toss-up. Right now it's looking like Wyatt Evans, if he comes back and is healthy and, you know, can reach the potential we all know he has, he's going to be uh, a favorite to land that spot. Or Nate Sneed from Wichita State. So your thoughts on Nate Sneed and his potential with Tennessee? Yeah, yeah, the potential, again, it's kind of in a lot of ways similar to Cannon Peebles in that it's a guy that comes in with two years to work with and is clearly really, really talented. And I think in that sense, he almost reminds me of Seth Halverson a little bit, where granted, Halverson was in the SEC and he is at Wichita State, but good production. And his Sneed's numbers were better at Wichita State, but it was like good, not great production at, at their past school. But you look at the stuff-wise, Upper 90s fastball, in Sneed's case, can touch 100. Really good, plus curveball. And it's like, all right, the potential is there. And you get him, and Frank Anderson. Frank Anderson gets to work with him. It's hard not to think that this guy's going to be really good in time. Uh, so uh, it looked at a slider and change up to his repertoire. That's kind of the scouting report that I've heard to go with the plus fastball and really good curveball. And then I think uh, you're right. It's just a question of where does he fit. He's no doubt going to have a big role in Tennessee's pitching staff. He will be in the conversation. He will be in the competition to be a weekend starter, as a lot of guys will. Again, it'll be, to me, a lot of competition there. I don't think anyone's locked in besides Drew Beam into a starting spot. We have, you know, I, I think A.J. Russell will be a favorite. But, again, favorite doesn't really mean anything as we sit here talking about it uh, here in mid-July. So, uh, Sneed's going to have a big role. Uh, the question is just what it is. And the fact that he has two years of eligibility uh, or not even eligibility, three years of eligibility, two years until he's eligible for the MLB draft, I think is really exciting because someone with that talent in, in two years to work with, it, it's hard not to see him being really productive for Tennessee. Yeah, and talk about you know competition and recruiting battles. Tennessee won this over Arkansas and LSU. So it's just another chip in, uh, you know for Tennessee there, beating out Arkansas and LSU. But yeah, one and two last year was more of a reliever and then, you know, had 316 ERA, 127 whip, pitched 42 and two-thirds innings. But definitely, like Ryan said, high 90s fastball, and he's got that plus curveball. And when Frank Anderson gets a hold of him, who knows what could happen. He could develop into a really nice pitcher for Tennessee. Also, another pitcher, believe believe uh, he had already committed to Tennessee, but the Jacksonville State kid, A.J. Kelsey, just another bullpen piece for Tennessee. Let's move on to who's left the Tennessee program because I think that's probably the more fascinating topic of conversation when looking at Tennessee's pitching staff. We mentioned, of course, Burns and Fanning last time out. But now, you know, just looking at this pitching staff as a whole, you lose Bryce Jenkins and Zach Joyce to the MLB draft. How much do you think those two guys leaving matters? And what's your just uh, overall assessment when you're looking at Tennessee's bullpen for next season rather than, you know, the competition for the starters. Yeah, certainly. I think there's uh, been a big hit to the depth and those are two guys that I think were capable of helping Tennessee. Obviously neither of them, you know, that shows how much talent there is in Tennessee's in Tennessee's uh, bullpen that both of those guys got drafted with having, and Jake Fitzgibbon got drafted. Granted he was in the transfer yeah. portal, so we knew he wasn't going to be back, but three guys got drafted for Tennessee and never, none of them really pitched any significant innings. But at the same time, even before those guys got drafted, Tennessee was just losing a lot of dudes from its rotation when you or, or from its pitching staff. When you talk about Camden Sewell, Dolander, Burns, Lindsay, Halverson, Lindsay, Halverson and it was already going to be. And obviously, most of those guys were starters, but it all is 
you know, uh, it trickulates down and trickled down to the bullpen. Tennessee was already losing a lot of depth, and you were curious about what those pieces were going to be. Now, all of a sudden, I think depth is a concern for the bullpen. And hmm. not that it's just massive, but these past two years, Tennessee's had like seven dudes that could throw at you in the bullpen. And in a regional, that was never a concern. I think you could work more back closer to what we saw in 2021, where Tennessee had like four or five guys that they trusted in the bullpen. And you saw some guys throw, you know, five innings over the course of a weekend, like Sean Hunley did. So uh, I think that's a little bit of a concern, but at the same time, Tennessee has a good freshman class coming in. We saw uh, some of those guys, those freshmen last year that were talented and you think could potentially make a leap. You'll get Wyatt Evans back from injury. Um, blanking on his name. Uh, guy who came in and got the big out uh, against the against Southern Miss before Chase Burns came in. Uh, Aaron Combs. Up sleeve. Aaron Combs uh, is <laughs> back as well for Tennessee. Uh, so there's plenty of talent. I do think those departures make you worry a little bit about the depth, but it goes back to just something I've said before. It's just hard not to feel really confident about what Frank Anderson is going to do with that staff. And even if the bullpen ends up being a little less or a little more thin and you have less bodies, it's hard for me not to think Tennessee's pitching staff and Tennessee's bullpen is going to be at the very least in a good spot, if not better than that even. So when you watch fall ball this fall, what storyline are you going to be more closely paying attention to? Tennessee's bullpen depth or the how the infield is going to sort itself out? I think it's the infield, but really more particularly the shortstop spot. Um, I think shortstop spot would almost be number one. Bullpen depth, what do these second-year guys look like? What do these transfers look like? How much better uh, are some of the young guys? How much can they help them? And then it's three, the rest of the infield, and it's just like how that factors out. Because I think we know at the other infield spots a lot of the names, or we know who's going to be there, uh, a good feel for who a lot of those guys are going to be. It's just like how do they situate out, who plays where. So that'll be interesting, but uh, to me not as interesting as shortstop and bullpen. And I guess the one other thing I would say uh, with the pitching is that Tennessee's still after Luke Holman, who is the Alabama ace transfer. Uh, Again, it's going to be a thick battle there. Uh, a lot of really good competition. Seems like LSU, Mississippi State, Alabama trying to get him back on campus too with uh, their new head coach. So we'll see what happens there. But Tennessee's in the thick of that. And all of a sudden, if Tennessee gets Luke Holman, he'll be a guy that will be, I think, like Drew being penciled in as a weekend starter. And then all of a sudden, instead of having to have a competition of five guys for two spots, it's four or five guys for one spot. And then all of a sudden, your bullpen depth, you feel a lot better uh, about the proven guys that you have coming back. Even if Tennessee, you know, doesn't get Luke Coleman in the end, it's safe to say Tony Vitello isn't done in the transfer portal. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm. You think I that might be their it final? Out. It's it's the number one guy by far yeah. right now. It's kind of in one of those senses where you know if something uh, pops up and you don't land him, maybe you feel like you need another pitcher. You explore those opportunities, but I think definitely think we're in the winding down phase of the transfer portal and. It wouldn't shock me again. Tony Vitello and Tennessee have been so active and good in the transfer portal. It wouldn't shock me that they land anybody else, but I wouldn't say it's like definitive either. Yeah, there for a while, man. It was just bam, bam, bam. I remember it was. Barco committed the day after Amic, or maybe day of Amic, like a couple of, hours. Same after day. Amic. Yeah. Yeah. It was just relentless there for like a three, four day stretch. And it definitely feels like it's winding down for sure. So. 
yeah, but overall, Chase Burns leaving in all, all the signings departing from Tennessee, Galaney and Dickey. By the way, we didn't talk about Jared Dickey. That was a whole saga. Him falling to the 11th round, you know, thought maybe he had a chance at coming back, but then um, the Royals get him and, you know, he signs. So just do you think this offseason has been a win for Tennessee, a success when you take all things into consideration? So far. I definitely, I definitely think it has been. And you almost, you look at it, there's obviously been some losses to go with some wins. The draft stuff, none of that really surprised me. Obviously, you would have liked to get Galaney back. I don't think anyone was even thinking Dickey coming back was was plausible going into that. So I'm not even going to knock that as a loss. And you do lose, uh, or are likely to lose Carson Rucker, who was probably yeah. Tennessee's most highly touted signee, the younger brother of Jake Rucker. But you don't lose any of your other prep guys. Uh, Matthew Dallas is a left-handed pitcher from West Tennessee, six foot five. Again, we're talking about a spot where Tennessee didn't have a whole lot of lefties last year. He's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up factoring in Tennessee's bullpen as a freshman. So uh, there were a lot of wins on that front. And uh, as a whole, I think it's a win. And you look at it, last year, Tennessee was so good at pitching. I mean, you their pitching staff, you put it up against, I guess Wake Forest numbers were so ridiculous. But they were as good as anybody but Wake Forest in the country. And their offense was really not an Omaha caliber offense. Tennessee's pitching staff has probably gotten worse this offseason, but I think their lineup has just gotten so much better uh, that it's going to be more balanced. And again, it's hard not to have a ton of faith in Frank Anderson, Richard Jackson, what those guys are going to do with the pitching staff. And I think Tennessee's got some dudes in the lineup. I think they will be a more complete team next year from a roster standpoint. And I think this offseason is a win because of that. And they've retooled. And again, I think you go into next season thinking, if not the expectation, the goal is to make it Omaha. And I think it's a pretty a pretty plausible goal for Tennessee. And I don't think when you knew Chase Burns was leaving uh, soon after the season ended, you knew Tennessee was going to have to do some work in the portal to get to that point. Credit to, to Tony Vitello, Josh Elander, the whole staff. They did that work needed, and uh, they've retooled the roster, and it should be a really good Tennessee team that's in the top 10 in the preseason again next year. I mean, when you look at Tennessee's offense here, you know, you consider the pop of Peebles and Amick, the incoming transfers, the power of Blake Burke, and then you look at the outfield bats. I mean, dude, Dryling's presumably yep. going to be playing every weekend now, and he was one of Tennessee's best hitters in certain scenarios last year. Kavar's tears, same kind of deal. And then Reese Chapman showed a lot of potential. Don't know if he'll start next season, but a guy. Hunter uh, Inslee is back. Like, he's like the Hunter forgotten back. man. Christian Moore, yeah. if we're putting him in the outfield, think about that bat. You know, and of course, Hunter Inslee, one of the most consistent hitters for Tennessee last year. But do you think, looking at it now, I know it's early, but this the potential of the 2024 offense, do you think it's closer to Tennessee's offense in 2022 than what we saw last year, or I should say just recently here this year. Yeah. I mean, it's what is the question? Is it closer to 2022 than 2023? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good question, man. Man, that's a really good question. I think, I think it's probably somewhere right in the middle. Oh, come on, pick a side. Yeah, man, that's, that's so tough. That's a great, great question, Jack. You, I don't know if you've ever stumped me with a question more than you've stumped <laughs> me with this question. I'll be optimistic, guy. I had Rick and I recorded a, a football podcast, and I had a really pessimistic prediction uh, that made me sick to my stomach to give. So I'll be, I'll be optimistic, guy, on the baseball side, and say, yeah, closer to 2022. But again, 2022 was just record-breaking offense, and I don't think it'll be that. But I, I do think this offense has the potential to be really good, especially if. You know, a guy like Kavar's Tears breaks out. And, you know, Dylan Dryling, I have a ton of confidence in. I remember, you know, going into last year, I talked about it a lot. I was worried about Blake Burke. 
adjusting to being that guy in the middle of the lineup. Oh, yeah. And what uh-huh. does that look like? And Dryling won't have that pressure because he won't be the best bat because of all these guys we've talked about. But what Dryling was so impressive with last year was just how steady he was as a hitter and how like high IQ of a hitter. I mean, Griffin Merritt just raved about him. Mean, he, he talked about one time like getting uh, a pinch, uh, Dryling pinch hit, came in and gave him the scouting report. And it was like, it's unbelievable the way the guy wasn't could. It, wasn't it right before Griffin Merritt hit a walk-off against Miss State? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds yeah. right. And it was like, it's just amazing the way this guy, as a freshman, is just so knowledgeable about hitting. And we saw that in the fact that he was unbelievable. So he hit like 700 as a pinch hitter last year. <laughs> yeah. As a freshman, that was ridiculous. So uh, I have a hard time thinking Dylan Darling's not going to be really good for Tennessee. I think everybody who's watched Kavar's Tears hit thinks his potential is super high. And then you can find out with the transfers you have coming in what they have in Christian Moore, steady Eddie, steady Eddie Hunter Insley. And then it's like, man, if Blake Burke can get back to being the guy that we thought he could be, or at least close to that guy, yeah, this offense could be really good and it's going to have a lot of power and I think is a lot more balanced from the right-handed, left-handed side too uh, than it was last year. I don't think you see Blake Burke at the, uh, near the top of the lineup. I feel like Amick and Peebles are close to that 3-4-5 along with Christian Moore. And I feel like Dylan Dryling's the leadoff hitter. Yeah, that's... I, I could really see that, and uh, I liked uh, Dryling at the two spot a lot. But you have Hunter Inslee back; he was good in that spot last year. I, I really yeah, you can't have Hunter Inslee leading off. It's got to yeah, be someone with you know better OBP, and I feel like Dylan Dryling is going to be that guy. Yeah, I could definitely see that, and it definitely feels like the freshman end up in the lineup will be at the bottom. Uh, so that would give them a little bit of protection too by having such a consistent bat in the leadoff spot is is dryling is so yeah it's it's going to be fascinating to see and uh, again i think you're going to be more even lefty righty and i wouldn't be surprised if you see tennessee do what they've done a lot of times in the past where you kind of go lefty righty lefty righty all the way through the lineup i think they might have the possibility to do that depending on how things shake up all right ryan any quick final thoughts here before we wrap up from tennessee's offseason up to this point my final thought, and it's not really a takeaway, it's just like a note. We had a trade this offseason. Cannon Peebles to North Carolina or from North Carolina State to Tennessee, oh. Hollis Fanning from Tennessee to North Carolina State. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a deal Tennessee would have taken and uh probably isn't a deal North Carolina State would have taken, but uh Hollis <laughs> a North Carolina State level school landing Hollis Fanning is a bigger deal than Tennessee losing Hollis Fanning is. Like I bet Hollis Fanning will be one of North Carolina State's best bullpen pitchers, if not a dude to competes for a weekend job. So I think that's a really good get from North Carolina State, a guy Tennessee didn't want to lose. And uh, sometimes the transfer portal can be a little funny and a little ironic. And uh, that was the case this offseason where we where we got a little we got a little trade between Peebles and Fanning. Yeah, that is funny. Uh, I guess I got to ask you before we wrap up too. Chase Burns to Wake Forest. That surprised you at all? Uh, it surprised me in the sense that it wasn't a name that I'd heard, but it was unsurprising in the fact that the only thing I heard about. Chase Burns, the last 10 days he was in the transfer portal was just that day that there was rumors about him coming back to Tennessee and was mm-hmm. asking around and being like, those rumors aren't true. So that's the only thing I heard about it. So uh, it wasn't surprising in the sense that I didn't have really any intel on the recruitment. And Wake Forest is – it makes sense on paper. It's a team that should be really good again this year. They lost the race, Rhett Louder. Uh, so Chase Burns, in theory, will step into that starting the spot. Reds. Yeah, there you go. You Dude, pull- the Reds drafted Louder, Ty Floyd, and uh, the ace from Arkansas. Um, uh, Holland, Holland, yeah, yeah, because yeah, their pitching staff sucks. So they got three yeah. good SEC or uh, good guys who, you know, competed Big on time college good teams. Arms. Yeah, yeah. So in, in that sense, it made sense. And the funny thing with that is that 
Chase Burns goes from to the one stadium maybe in the entire country that's more unfriendly to pitchers than Lindsey Nelson Stadium. It is at Wake Forest. It's 310 down the line. It's just an absolutely tiny ballpark. Uh, but, man, he's got the experience uh, pitching with Lindsey Nelson. So that'll be interesting. Again, I think it's probably good for Tennessee. He's out of the SEC. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe Tennessee sees him in the postseason sometime. Wake Forest, man, they keep – you know, improving their pitching staff. They were great last season, look to be great yet again. Ryan, you said I stumped you a minute ago with one of the best questions I've ever asked you. I think I got a better question. We've talked about the potential of Tennessee's offense in 2024, but, man, it things are looking great in Nashville right now as DeAndre Hopkins is the newest yeah. Tennessee Titan. Does any NFL offense have the upside the Titans have right now? I mean, everything's fixed, right? Everything you thought could go wrong has now just been completely reversed, and now the Titans are back to being AFC South favorites. Right, Ryan? Oh, well, I really don't like your attitude, Jack. I really don't like it at all. Um, no, not everything's fixed. Um, but I was I was excited by DeAndre Hopkins. It was, it was what I exactly needed because it was the first positive jolt of Tennessee Titans news or optimism I've had since the Will Levis draft pick. Uh, I mean, it, it just you couldn't hardly think about the Titans uh, without being upset uh, in the time from the draft. And look, this isn't a great team. Um, it's not a team that's going to do anything in the playoffs. But I will say this: the defense, and that's been my whole beef with everything. The Titans are like rebuilding their offense while having a, a win now defense and paying their defense. That makes no sense. I think the defense is good enough that when you combine DeAndre Hopkins, I think the offense can be hopefully competent enough that this is a team that can make a playoffs and nothing would, nothing would give me more joy than the Titans. One last hurrah, one last hurrah for these Tennessee Titans, the Mike Brable Tennessee Titans to knock off the Jacksonville Jaguars for a year. I got all the tweets bookmarked. I got all of them, <laughs> all you blue check marks that tweeted Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, get used to this every year for the next <laughs> decade in the semifinals. I got all the tweets bookmarked. Nothing would make me happier than the Jags to get to get pushed down a, a tier, at least for a year. Obviously, the Jags in the long term are, are looking much better than Titans, but I think the Titans are talented enough to compete for the division. I wouldn't pick them to win. I wouldn't call them the favorites, but they're talented enough to do that. They're talented enough to make the playoffs. So I'm glad to have a little bit of positivity uh, into DeAndre Hopkins or and a little bit of positivity involving the Titans since DeAndre Hopkins signed. Well, if they're going to make the playoffs, they better win the division because they ain't in a wild card. AFC's too tough. Jacksonville maybe has an outside shot if they don't because uh, maybe the Titans are just that good, but Titans aren't getting the wild card. I, I just don't see it happening. But I, you know what I can't wait for? I can't wait for week 12. Um, I don't know in the Titans bias, so let's just say they had played 10 games and they're you know, three and seven. I can't wait for the Titans to be three and seven entering week 12. Ryan Tannehill's on IR because the offensive line is absolutely awful. Um Derrick Henry's, you know, little banged up because he's 29 years old and he's got so many miles on him these past few years. DeAndre Hopkins is checked out because he got his bag and he's going to be done with the NFL now. He's 31. He's like, man, I'm on this team that sucks, but they, hey, they gave me my money, so I'm done. He's got a little hamstring injury just like Julio had, and I just can't wait for Will Levis to be starting in Week 12 and them to get, you know, absolutely wrecked by whoever they're playing. So that seems to me like the most logical scenario for how the Titans season's going to go. I mean, that's not the worst scenario because in that sense, where you're, what do you say? It's week three and seven at this point. So you got yeah. seven more games left. Will Levis is winning no more than one of those games. Hopefully everybody <laughs> figures out that Will Levis sucks. Titans get a top five pick. 
hope, you know, they probably wouldn't. It's probably unrealistic to think they're going to draft a quarterback. They're probably not going to do that. But maybe uh, you get Marvin Harrison Jr. That would be freaking electric. So and there's some positives in that, too. Um, and honestly, I'm going to be honest. The Andre Hopkins deal was not as bad as I was. I was worried. Nah, he, he, they didn't pay him a lot. I was worried. We it wasn't Odell money. Yeah, I was worried we were going to give a laughable amount of money. And we really didn't. So I think it's, it was honestly a pretty good deal. We'll see. Like you said, it's it's very plausible. It's not likely that he only plays like 10 games or something while having the Julio hamstring issues. But I think he'll be pretty talented while he's out there. And our receiver number two is no longer a Madden draft CPU generated guy in Chris Moore, who you're like, who's this guy? <laughs> oh, he was he was in like two draft classes ago in the auto generated Madden draft class. Uh, so that's, that's, that's a positive. That's a great joke. I love that. In, in fact, all jokes aside, I was giving you a hard time just now. DeAndre Hopkins is one of my favorite players ever. I mean, yeah, you know, he's a Clemson guy. Clemson guy. He was just—he's been a beast with so much bad quarterback play throughout his career. I think he's a future Hall of Famer. Yeah. And honestly, the injury concern with Hopkins—I don't really buy. He's had one injury his entire career that's amounted to anything. So I don't know how much it changes the Titans. I don't buy into the fact that their offense is suddenly good now. Don't subscribe to that, but they'll be fine. They'll be around 500, but they're not going to be uh, as good as the Jags. Jags are about to break out. I mean, they could, I literally think they could be the one seed in the AFC. I Just, don't think that, but I, mean, I think they go 13 to four. Losses to like what Cincinnati and Kansas City. I think they could beat uh, Buffalo. Um, they could be better in Buffalo. I don't know. 13 and four seems like the ceiling, but definitely a reachable ceiling in that. So maybe so. You're the NFL expert, but, uh, I'm not buying the Jags. I'm going to so. be intolerable this season when Trevor Lawrence is just dicing up defenses every weekend. That's all I know. But anyway, Ryan, we've talked about the NFL enough. That'll do it for this Tuesday morning edition of the Rockets Top Insider Press Pass Baseball Podcast. Ryan, I'm aware that you and Rick have a podcast dropping soon about some Tennessee football stuff. Of course, just a couple of days ago, you guys talked about the basketball news and the NCAA investigation regarding Tennessee football on RTI's audio feed right now. If you haven't checked it out, you should. We have an exclusive one-on-one interview with former Tennessee quarterback Hennon Hooker talking all things regarding his offseason and some bold predictions for this upcoming season for Tennessee. So a lot of good stuff going on right now, Ryan, but that podcast you just recorded with Rick dropping soon. No, not dropping soon. Dropping, not dropping next week. So you're going to have to wait. Week. You're going to have to wait a week. But yeah, uh, it'll uh, probably be sometime early in next week when it'll drop. So that'll uh, be our kind of last uh, Tennessee football podcast before uh before the fall camp starts and we really get into the good stuff and uh, i think uh jack and rick are planning on uh doing a, a podcast as well for media days yeah. in nashville i will not be there but that'll be our tennessee football podcast that this week and then uh kind of taking a look at the schedule next week does talking season just get you so fired up i mean we're almost here it's it, almost it does. football season talking season does get me fired up I love me some talking season. What doesn't get me fired up, though, is SEC media days, which I feel like is what people point to with talking season. It's it's just a 30 years outdated concept. It was a great concept when we didn't have the internet and we didn't talk about college football 24-7, 365. Now that we talk about college football 24-7, 365, it's, I won't say it's pointless, but it's an, it's an outdated concept. Oh, well, there you go. Ryan being the uh, grouch here on in mid-July because it's, all, it's almost college football season. I mean, come on. Most I, and again, time I like year. talking season. I like, all the, I like this time of year when we're fully getting into talking about college football. But we'll hear 
we did get one interesting thing said yesterday. But we will get – I'm setting the over-under. We already got one of them, counting Jimbo Fisher's uh, – Jimbo Fisher made his comment about, well, we'll see who's going to call play. Yeah. He didn't commit to buy Petrino. I thought that was interesting. So we're at one. I'm setting the over-under of 2.5 interesting <laughs> things said by coaches at SEC Media Days. We got one in day one. We'll see if we can get one a day the whole time. I, I'm not sure we'll get there. Well, Drinkwitz, that's, that, that's my beef with media days. Drinkwitz already went, so unfortunately, he didn't say anything to where yes. he could get And he's a good on. candidate. He's one I of know. the best candidates to get something interesting out of. And the best one last year was Clark Lee saying, in time, Vanderbilt will be the best program in the yeah, nation. The but yeah. I think he's dialed it back a little bit. As yeah. The most interesting thing he said this morning was, uh, we're playing the long game. So you continue yeah. playing that long <laughs> game, Clark Lee. We'll see how it works out. But all right, that'll do it here on this Tuesday morning again. Stay up to date on all things Rocky Top Insider at Rocky Top Insider on all things social media, rockytopinsider.com for all Media Days coverage coming up, Tennessee football coverage coming up in fall camp early next month. You won't want to miss that. For Ryan, I'm Jack, and we'll see you next time.